Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather round your words, may you shape us so that we might live today in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, help us today to take up our cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, may you fill us today and cause your fruit to ripen in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Amen. One of the more successful government health campaigns in a long time in many countries has been the five-a-day campaign to get us eating more fruit and veg. Fruit and vegetables have been proven to improve our health and well-being and five portions a day reduce the risk of cancer, hypertension, heart disease, stroke and diabetes. Now, we're not always brilliant at heating advice, and you may or may not be getting five portions of fruit and veg a day. But nevertheless, chances are, if someone were to ask us if you were getting your five a day, you'd know what they're talking about. Well, throughout this morning's service, we have been hearing about a particular kind of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we're going to be thinking about over the next few weeks. Our key text is from a letter by the early Christian writer Paul to a church in Galatia in the area around Ankara or Eskishahir, which is in modern Turkey. And he writes to them, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Now, before we dive straight in, I want to highlight what we're not talking about. It can be very easy, particularly when Paul has just listed a great big list of vices, to think that what we're talking about here is a list of virtues. This isn't a holy five-a-day campaign. Paul's not saying get yourself a load of doses of these a day and you'll have a healthy relationship with God. Now, the reason that the image of fruit is powerful is because fruit is a natural product of life. There are many of you who have forgotten more about gardening than I will ever know. So you're going to know a lot more about this than I do. But you'll know that if a fruit tree is alive and healthy, at the right time, fruit will come. Yes, you can help. You can create the right environment. You can plant it in the right soil. You can water it regularly. You can feed the right nutrients. But in the end, a tree will bear fruit only because it is a living tree being and doing what a tree does when it's alive. Fruit will come simply because there is life rising within it, rising up from the soil and water, feeding the roots, flowing in the sap through every branch and twig. And so it is when we live in relationship with God. This is not something we work up or develop in ourselves. Yeah, we can create the right environment. We can open ourselves to the kind of life God wants us to have and which Jesus came to bring us. We can seek to live in relationship with God. And if we do, the qualities that God wants to happen will be produced in our lives. 
This fruit is not something we take or get to stay healthy. It's a sign that, or, that life or health is already there. It's not about virtue so much as about character, about the kind of person that we are becoming. And that leads us on to something else that's quite important for understanding this. It takes time. Fruit doesn't happen overnight. And nor does character. I'm told that to produce grapes that make good drinkable wine, it can take at least 16 years. It doesn't just happen. 16 years of cultivating and pruning until the sugar is directed to that particular point and concentration where the grape is ready to produce the kind of wine that explodes with flavour in your mouth. 16 years. And the fruit of the Spirit takes time too. True, it's the work of God in us, but it doesn't just happen. Nothing worthwhile comes like that. Oh, we wish it did. I mean, I often joke, I wish I could become well-read without having to do all the reading. Or we'd love to become wise without having to endure the experiences in which true wisdom is developed. We'd love to be patient without having to put up with the inconvenience of waiting. We'd love to be faithful, but it involves taking the next step when you're not sure how it's going to pan out. But we know that's how life works. Nothing in life is like, works like that. That great 90-minute film is the result of hour after hour of tedious take after take and edit after edit. Roger Federer's backhand didn't just happen. It was hundreds, thousands of hours hitting ball after ball when no one was watching long after most of the others would have gone home. And character formation, it's slow and difficult. You might be able to develop passable skills quite quickly when necessity thrusts it upon you. I mean, half the ministers in the country have had to do that since lockdown. But developing character is longer. It requires the kind of internal rewiring that is being developed in you. And it's often developed in the dark, in isolation, when no one is watching. It emerges in the choices, large and small, that we make. Whether you become an honest, a generous or a faithful person is the product of countless choices in lots of small incidences, most of the time when no one is going to notice the choices you've made. And yet, those choices will determine the person you become. I planned to run this series long before I'd heard the words COVID-19 or lockdown. And I plan to do it at this time. But maybe it's quite appropriate that we're starting this series in a season of relative isolation. Maybe it is a season when God can be at work tilling up the soil that produces some of the fruit in our lives. And right at the top is love.
that shouldn't surprise us especially. Jesus himself said it. On the night of his arrest, he told his followers, by this everyone will know you're my disciples, that you love one another. Or when Jesus was asked, what was the most important commandment from our Old Testament? He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. John, one of the early disciples, wrote that Jesus' command was that we believe in his name and love one another. One command. If you believe, you will love. And you know, that was what others noticed about those Christians. Even people who didn't like them. As the early church began to emerge and grow within the Roman world, they were seen as a threat. And amongst many of their opponents, it was felt that the secret of their impact was obvious. They would remark, see how those Christians love one another. Whew, wouldn't it be great if they said that about us today? One of the more famous snippets of the writings of Paul, who wrote today's passage, was in a letter to another church in Corinth. He listed all sorts of great things he could do. Speak with the tongues of men and angels. Speak for God in prophecies. Understand all mysteries and be renowned for wisdom and knowledge. Have great faith. Be the world's greatest philanthropist. But without love, he said, those things are meaningless. We gain nothing. We are nothing without love. Love is the primary evidence that God is at work in our lives, that the fruit of the Spirit is being cultivated within us. If you want to know whether a tree is alive, you'll look for buds, then flowers, then fruit. But where there's fruit, there's life. And when it's not bearing fruit, it's time to question whether there is life. Well, within us, where there is love, there is life. And where there is no love, we have reason to question, is there life? I want to just drop a couple of thoughts in this morning about why love is so important and which hopefully will set us up for the next few weeks as we explore the fruit of the Spirit. You see, this list doesn't just pop up in a vacuum. There's a reason why Paul wrote to this bunch of early Christians. Paul was the person primarily responsible for taking the story of Jesus to the non-Jewish world. He declared that God's love was for the whole world and that God wanted to relate to each one of us regardless of our cultural background, ethnicity, social status, nationality. We're all invited into relationship with God through Jesus. We're all invited to be part of God's great longing to bless the whole world. And all that was required was to accept that offer of relationship. One of the places that Paul took that message was Galatia. And there he established a small cluster of Jesus followers. But Paul didn't tend to stay in one place very long. He moved around and he established new clusters of followers of Jesus in the next place and the next and the next. And then in, at Galatia, after Paul left, some other group came along. 
And they didn't see things quite the same way as Paul did. They said it wasn't enough just to enter into that kind of relationship with God. At this stage, the church was predominant, predominantly a sect within Judaism. And these followers said, if you wanted to become followers of Jesus, you had to become a Jew first. Your men had to be circumcised and everyone else had to follow the Old Testament laws, which was the identifying mark of Judaism. Paul was having none of it. And as we have seen in recent weeks from Paul, God wasn't interested in how closely we followed a system of laws. There was nothing we could do that would make God love us more, nothing we could do that would make God love us less. What mattered was that we entered into that relationship with him and that we allowed his spirit to enter us and shape how we live. But others latched on to Paul's message and distorted what he was saying. They said, our relationship with God, well, that's all down to what God's done in Jesus. There's nothing we can do that's going to make God love us more or less. And so they concluded, what we do doesn't matter. We can just do what we like. This can seem quite distant from us and perhaps even irrelevant. But in many ways, those two ideas, maybe with different labels, but the same ideas nonetheless, are still with us today. There are some who can be quite legalistic. They, they want everything to be strict and clear. Everything is binary. Right, wrong. Keep the rules or you can't be one of us. But there are others who go almost to the opposite extreme. They say, oh, God loves us just as we are. And that much is true. But then they go on to add, so what we do doesn't really matter. And it's a bit like what Dallas Willard called barcode Christianity. You know, we say a prayer and God comes and changes some sort of cosmic barcode on our eyes. So that when judgment day comes, you know, God will pass us through the scanner and it will read what we want it to. But it's like swapping the labels on cans of carrot and beans. The scanner might think it's beans, but if you open that tin up, it's still carrots. And I think some of us think God is stupid. God is stupid. Because we're almost trying to fill God. But Paul says, hold on, both of you, hold on. There's a better way. What matters to God isn't keeping a whole load of rules or regulations to express your faith. A much better way to express your faith is by love. I mean, if you just love the Lord with your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and you love your neighbour as yourself, you're going to be doing everything God wants. On the other hand, you might be free. But what better way to exercise that freedom than to think about other people? In the UK, we are a relatively free society, but we accept limitations to that. If we all just did exactly what we wanted, society would descend into chaos. We're probably being more aware than normal of that in recent weeks. And so it is within a faith community. A much better way to be free is to use your freedom in ways that help others, which build and develop community, to serve one another with love. And that's why love tops the list. Love is a much more powerful motivator than duty. It enables us to live in relationship with God without it descending into grudging legalism. But love also enables us to use that freedom 
without selfishness. I mean, we recognise the wisdom of what God says. If you've watched our country over the last few years, you'll see how people can become really polarised and how they can be horrible to each other in their words and attitudes. And it descends into fighting like dogs, tearing pieces out of one another. And we end up devouring one another. And there's no real winner. Without love, that can happen in a faith community. Without the Spirit producing a harvest of love within us, we can end up destroying each other. And it's no good to anyone. Trust me, it doesn't matter whether you won that argument. No one is looking at two people bickering with one another and thinking, I wish I had what they had. Love allows us to live with difference. Love is the ability to say, you know, we don't agree, but Jesus is the centre of who we are. So we're going to walk together and we're going to try to work this out together. And we're going to make mistakes and we'll fall over, but together we'll get back up and we'll take the next step with the Spirit. Do you not think our country could have done with a bit of that over the last few years? Do you not think it would be a fantastic witness if our churches lived like that? But as I touch this down, I just want to draw attention to one other thing, which will take us forward into future weeks. And it's why I've used the prism as a symbol for this series. In some ways, we can confuse the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit. Last week I looked at a range of ducks and said some are gifted in this way, some in other ways. And we can be tempted to think that way about the fruit of the Spirit. That some will be blessed with patience, some with kindness, others with faithfulness, etc. But that's not the case here. And nor are all these traits equal. When I did physics at school, we did experiments shining a light onto a prism like this and watching as the light dispersed and broke up into different colours. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo and violet. And that's a good picture for the fruit of the spirit. Love is like the white light. We are the prism. When the fruit of the Spirit fills us with love, it emerges from us in lots of different ways. In joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Without love, none of what we achieve is worth much. And without love, the rest of the fruit will simply not happen. So in this season of relative isolation, May we open ourselves to receive some more of the life God has for us. May we create the environment in which God can fill us. May we learn to live in love with the difference so that others might just wish they had some of what we had. And may that love begin in time to create character in you, radiating from you in all the colours of the rainbow. Another appropriate image for this season. May it radiate from you as joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. Grace and peace to you. Amen.